Hi, friend. You are listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, a podcast created especially for someone who's not sure about relationship with Jesus Christ. My name is Janelle Wood, and while I have a background in counseling and ministry with women, the truth is I've been through my own seasons of questioning my faith. So if you've ever struggled with not being sure where you belong, or you felt like you were faking faith, or maybe a friend just shared this episode with you and you are feeling a little wounded or skeptical of all things God-related right now, welcome. This podcast is just for you. Finding Something Real is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. My passion is Jesus Christ, and for me now, After having been through some real ups and downs on my own faith journey, I believe Christ is the hope and the answer to this world more than ever. But don't take my word for it. Listen to my friends as they share their own grace-filled journeys with you. My prayer is that if you haven't already, you'll find something real too. Well, welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood. And friend, I'm excited you're listening in for season five, where we're starting off each month with a different young woman sharing her faith story and allowing her the space to ask some tough questions about God and faith. This month, our first episode introduced Leike from Nigeria. Leike shared about her growing up in Africa, how childhood trauma impacted her faith, how she came to Christ in 2012, and still finds herself asking lots of questions. I loved Lake's honesty about where she's at, the questions she's asking about Christianity, and her sharing of her journey. So if you haven't already, I highly recommend you go and check out that first episode with Lake and hear her story. We'll put a link to that episode and last week's, which was great. It featured uh, Mabel here on the podcast answering some of Lake's questions. Those will be found in the show notes. You can find those over at findingsomethingreal.com. Uh, As you may know, we've got stuff like free resources and occasional blog posts, along with ways to connect or even apply to be on this podcast as a co-host. Also, special shout out to those of you helping support this program as monthly patrons. Thank you especially to Michelle, who has been faithfully supporting this podcast and ministry. Your monthly contributions matter, and I'm so thankful. And to you, listener friend, if you love what we're doing here at Finding Something Real, I'd love to invite you to join us as a Patreon supporter Patreon support starts at just $5 a month, and in exchange, you'll get a one-time thank you gift along with a bonus podcast episode sent to your inbox every month. That episode, uh, that bonus episode is usually a monthly recap of the conversations we had all month, and I invite the young women whose stories are featured on this podcast to join me for those candid and casual rap conversations. If you're interested in hearing those follow-up episodes and or you just like this podcast, please check that out again at Finding Something Real. Dot com. So Leike, I'm, uh, I'm sad I, I reached out to her. She was planning on being here today, but she also told me that she's got some major life updates. Um, I'll wait until she's back on the podcast to share those, or if she's not able to come back on the podcast, I'll get her permission before I share. But there's uh, reasons why she might have been too busy to come today. Uh, she may be able to join it um, later. We'll find out. But I am very excited to address some of the things that she brought up in our conversation. Um, Our guest today is a pastor, author, speaker, husband and father, who asked the question, how do you forgive when you've been wounded deeply? 
How do you move past the pain that keeps you up at night, leaves you isolated, untrusting, and afraid? How can you possibly forgive them, especially when they don't deserve forgiveness? His book, Forgiving the Nightmare, is a story of how God's abundant or abounding grace transformed him and set him free from a nightmare of abuse and years of suffering. Condemnation, shame, and guilt were replaced with forgiveness, joy, and life in abundance. Mark Sowersby is here today to share his testimony of healing, forgiveness, and freedom. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm I'm so grateful. Uh, Mark, you write in your book that, uh, quote, it's far more than just forgiving the abuse. It's walking in forgiveness. It's walking in joy. It's not allowing the things of the past to have control over the things of the future. Would you share a little bit uh, about that, your story? And, um, and I'd love to hear how you came to faith, but uh, share what inspired this book. Sure. You know, unfortunately, uh, my story starts with a nightmare. And, you know, as you mentioned earlier, I grew up uh, in an abused home with a lot of dysfunction. And from the ages of seven to 14, uh, my mother married a man 20 years younger than her that would come into my home and abuse me in every way, shape and form. And the ugliness of that and wherever our minds can go to, yes, that's probably what happened. But the book is not about that. The book is not just about the abuse. It's my story. It really happened to me. It, it's a part of my narrative. It, it was a part of my life and will always be there. But the story is about how God has brought me to a place of forgiveness and the journey of that and how to find that peace, that grace, and that forgiveness and walk in freedom in the in the word of God, through the love of God, and, and be able to do that every day. And the journey is difficult. Uh, you know, it did not come by just a hallelujah moment. It came with a lot of tears and a lot of sweat and a lot of, I shook my fist at heaven more than once and asked how and why and what, but I'll tell you at the end of the day, I know the Lord is with me and the Lord is continuing to do a great work in me and through me. Wow. So I know I listened to the interview that you gave with Rodney uh, Olson on his podcast, Bleeding Daylight. We'll also include a link to that episode where uh, you share your story more in depth. Um, but you you had shared on there, I think that the abuse uh, happened, correct me if I'm wrong, between the ages of, was it seven or eight to 13? Is that yeah, seven to right? 14, right about there. Seven yeah. to 14. Yep. That's very formative time uh, in one's life, especially for a young man. Um, so I, I know we'll get to your faith transformation and how you came to Christ in a minute. But um, as a young child, as a young man going through some of those things, um, what what was your perception of God at that time? Do you remember? Well, we I didn't really grow up in a religious family. You know, I kind of knew what I was, wasn't more than I knew what I was. You know, I grew up in New England, which is primarily Roman Catholic. Uh, you're either... Irish Catholic, Polish Catholic, Italian Catholic, <laughs> French Catholic, you are a Catholic. This area is 90% Catholic, especially in the late 70s and early 80s, heavily Catholic. So I knew I wasn't Catholic, but I didn't know what I was. You know, it's like kind of what am I? And of course, we knew there was a God and be good and you'll you'll maybe go to heaven. But I didn't understand church or faith or Bible or any of that. I just knew, you know, try to be nice and and God loves you. And, but again, we didn't practice any kind of uh, church attendance, any kind of with Christmas, Easter, uh, but that was about it. So I did, I kind of grew up knowing more of what I wasn't than what I was. 
um, during that time growing up before you came to Christ, were you angry at God for allowing? You know, a lot of people ask me that question. And I think in those days, as I look back now, of course, it's Monday morning quarterbacks, 2020 vision. <laughs> I, I think I was just numb. I don't think there was, I mean, I'm sure I was angry as a child and confused and frustrated and lost and all the expressions of a child, but I guess it'd be summed up that there was nothing. There was just, I was just empty. I think my abuser stole everything from me. My abuser not only stole my body, stole my dignity, stole my, stole my self-respect, but left me with this emptiness. So there was, was there anger? I'm sure. Was there sadness? Of course. But it best summed up just saying there was an emptiness in me. There was nothing, an empty shell. So how did you cope? Because uh, people can't just live in the pain. Uh, for You have to find some sort of coping mechanism. What was yours? You know, uh, that's a great question. I think, again, you the Bible talks about when I was a child, I reasoned like a child. And of course, as a child, I had to figure out some way to kind of process this evilness that was happening to me. So how did I find find a, an expression? Well, I, I enjoyed music, got really into music. I watched a lot of TV. TV uh, was always my friend. Unfortunately, food became my friend as much as anything. So food rewarded me and food punished me. So I really wrestle with my diet. Even to this day, food was something that I cope with. But really, I was tried to be out of the house as much as I could. I was always that kid at somebody else's house. You know, I was always out. I was at school as much as I could be. I was on the football team and I was on the drama club. So, I mean, I stayed at school and I was always trying to escape, if you would, from the home and the dysfunction and the, and the hurt there. Mm. One more question about that yeah. before we get to uh, no, transformation. No um, but, we talk a lot, we're recording this in June about identity in our culture today. Um, identity is a huge thing. It As is. someone who was abused by uh, an older male, uh, was that something that you struggled with, wondering who am I? Uh, well, yeah, how did yeah, you deal with definitely. That? Again, in those times, you know, I was abused by a male, so I was confused. I didn't know about sexuality. I didn't know what a good touch was or a poor touch. The only kind of intimacy, and I even hate to use that word. It's the only word I can use to describe. I knew from a from a very negative and horrible and, and sadistic way. So when I became a young man, the desire to have a girlfriend was so important. It wasn't really the desire to have intimacy. It was to say, look, I have a girl on my side. And again, I reasoned like a child in that. So I, I just wanted to make sure, you know, I felt normal, whatever normal was, but in those days, I, I really just wanted to have a, a the opposite agenda, uh, the opposite, you know, sex next to me to say, look, I'm okay. And of course I had to grow and mature and understand what that meant to be in a relationship and, and what it meant. Cause I was still hurting and confused and empty. Yeah. Well, so around the age of 14, you were able to escape yeah, at 14, two things happened. First of all, I got a little bigger, so I was going to defend myself. Um, and now that I can look back, I think for a pedophile that molests young men, I was getting too old for his perverted attraction. Uh, so I think that was taking place. But also I found in my book, I talk about it in my book, Forgiving the Nightmare, I talk about I found my defender. I went to uh, my, my uncle. 
He was a blue collar guy. He was in the supermarket business. He he loved us. Worked nine to five, you know, paying the bills. And I and I went into the house. I never forget. And I confessed. I told. I explained to my uncle everything that was happening. I'll never forget. He looked at me and he said, "Hey, Marky," because that's what they called me then. Are you telling any stories, pal? And I said no. And he wrapped those big arms around me and he just pulled me close and. He defended me with his actions, his passion, his time, his energy. He really, truly became one of the first adults that believed me and defended me. So a lot of things was happening. I was getting bigger. I was getting stronger. And my and my defender came in. And again, mm-hmm. I talk about that in my book. Yeah. I know you also talked about this um, in your conversation with Rodney, and I'm sure you've shared it on other podcasts as well, or maybe the 700 Club, which we'll also link uh, to that. (laughs) I know you've been giving some interviews, but um, where was your mom when all this was happening? You know, my mom was lost uh, and she was lost in her own pain and it does not excuse her behavior. She has to answer. She has to deal with uh, what has happened in my life as I look back at my mom, my mom's life, it helps me understand. It doesn't make it easier. It doesn't make it lighter. It doesn't make it simpler, but it helps me understand that my mom was abused in a lot of different ways in her own life. So she carried this pain of, of abuse, of sorrow, of rejection. And because she was broken, uh, that spilt out upon all of us. And when she finally was in this dysfunctional relationship of uh, just pain with this gentleman. It really, I was the target of all that. Mm -hmm. So again, my mom doesn't excuse my mom's behavior or her neglect towards me, but it helps me now as an adult to look back and say, I'm sure my mom was being abused in, in a sense in her own way too. And uh, your biological father, where was he? Well, you know, I was born from an affair. So my mom had an affair with my father. And so he wasn't in my life. Uh, he, you know, I was always told that when she found out she conceived me, he, he left, he was not around. Uh, the end of that story is at 45, I got to meet my dad. Uh, you know, he was in his eighties. I was 45 and we had about four years to get to know each other. It was a special time for me. It wasn't daddy, little guy, buddy, but it was a relationship. It was, I got to know some health issues. I, I really wanted to know if he was bald or not. But he was not <laughs> bald. That was, that was really important to me. Um, he was short and stocky, just kind of like me. But, you know, so, you know, I, I was glad that I had those four years to kind of at least kind of fill in the blanks a little bit in my life. Mm. Wow. So, Again, uh, I'll put links to other interviews where you've sure. shared more details of all of that. But uh, I mean, obviously, you went through a lot of trauma as a kid, uh, yes. not yes. having uh, a, a father, um, having been abused by uh, a male figure, um, not having uh, any type of, it sounds like, spiritual guidance in your life. Sure. Um, sure. Yeah. So uh, I can imagine that's a lot of rejection, a lot of pain, a lot of hurting. So yeah, tell me about school, abused at home. It didn't have a lot of that, that foundation. You're correct. Yeah. So tell me about uh, who you were at 16 and what led you to Jesus. 16. I was a regular teenage guy. It was the eighties. So we had mullets. We loved <laughs> IROC. People uh, do I now wore, too. I wore a jean jacket with, with patches all over it and the work boots that I care wore. I couldn't tie. 
I had to walk a certain, I mean, it was important to have a certain look and a style. And we lived in an apartment complex at the time and I was going swimming and uh, at the pool and the uh, lifeguard young lady who was all about 16 invited me to church. And I said, yes, I think I would have said yes to any place that young lady invited me <laughs> that day. And her and her boyfriend picked me up for church that night. So uh, blah, blah, blah. Heart you know, okay. What can you do? Right. Uh, so I stumbled into a youth group and they listened to music I listened to and they had jean jackets like I, you know, it was just I found a place that I think I could fit in. It was nothing like I ever seen before. Uh, at first, I was kind of put off because they wanted to hug me. I'm like, no, nope, I don't I don't need a hug. Um, they wanted, you know, we, it was very charismatic and they wanted to pray over me and put hands on me. And I was like, nope, nope, I don't need a touch. Uh, but I'll never forget that was on a Wednesday night. A few days later on a Friday, a bunch of cars came to my house. Uh, we were living in that apartment complex. I was living on the third floor and a bunch of cars were out front in the parking lot beating their horns. There had to be 30, 40 students. In my mind, there was a thousand, but probably 20 to 30 students. And they were yelling for me. Hey, Mark, come, we're going to go climb a mountain. There's a mountain in our area called Mount Monadnock. And they went, we climbed that mountain. I didn't have the right shoes. I didn't have any money. I didn't have the right clothes. I didn't, but they just waited for me. And I felt accepted. I felt uh, loved. And, and then that church became my, my home. I mean, I think I went to everything. I think I went to the senior women's meeting. I went to everything. <laughs> that church. Wow. So um, when you heard about Jesus through that, uh, yeah. were you were you drawn to him because you were drawn into the community of people who were loving on you? Yeah, I, that's exactly. I was love first. And I'll never forget it. We were, it was raining one night. I was coming out of youth group and a young man who had a car so that, you know, you're cooler when you had a car. He offered to give me a ride home. And of course I took it. And on the way out of, of the parking lot, he said, do you want to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? I probably didn't even know the depths of that question, but I didn't want, I did. I wanted God. And we prayed a simple prayer. Lord, come into my life. Forgive me for my sins. Again, 16 messed up just what 18 months, 24 months away from after being abused and all the craziness of life. But God heard my prayer and he started to stir in me and it started to do a work in me. And I wish I could say life became perfect after I asked Jesus to be my savior. It didn't. That's where I think the real work began. So yeah. question about that. This is an aside. You're a pastor. How long have you been pastoring for? Oh, about 25, 27, 28 years. My whole adult life. Yeah. So I'm sure you've seen people come to Christ. Oh, do yeah, you yeah. yeah. Do you find that most people come to Christ without knowing all the details that it, or is it, does it just depend on the person? Um, I think most people come to Christ almost like the woman at the well. They meet Jesus. He reveals himself to them and they leave going, I met somebody who, who knows everything about me and then loves me. And that passion and that love and that simple kindness then impels us to grow closer to God. And then he becomes the potter and we are the clay. And he starts moving and shaping and cutting from us the impurities and helping us surrender and die to self and pick up the cross. And, you know, I tell everybody salvation is easy, but being a disciple is hard. You know, yeah. salvation is free. Amen. I, you know, we're, 
but to truly say, Lord, I want to follow you, tame this tongue, kill that old man. Whew, if you can do that, come and preach at my church because <laughs> I want to learn from you. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, true. That's amazing. Um, so Lake, who has also experienced childhood abuse at the hands I'm of so someone sorry. who so should sorry. have protected her, she asked, um, how do you heal from childhood hurt? And um, I listened to you share your story in depth uh, on the podcast Bleeding Daylight. And you said something during that interview that I thought was profound. You said, God became bigger than the lies of my past. That's right. You went on to discuss how God didn't remove the hurt, the rejection, or the lies, but he became bigger. Would you share a little bit more about that? Sure. You know, I... I was, was waiting for the day that I would wake up and all this would be gone, right? I, someday I'm going to wake up. I've prayed hard enough. I've given enough. I've gone. I've quoted. I've, I've claimed. I've done everything that I thought the Christian should do. And one day I'm going to wake up and this pain, this memory, this hurts, all going to be gone. And it never happened. Mm-hmm. It never happened. It's still there today. I still remember. I still can go back. It's still a part of my narrative, like I said earlier. What happened was, God became bigger so that the mountain of pain that that shadows over my life, that still cascades itself at times in my memory and in my soul, that pain's still there. But what happened is God became bigger than all that pain. God's grace, God's mercy, God's love, God's truth, God's, God's presence became bigger. So the Everest that, that once, once consumed me became a bit smaller because God became a whole lot bigger. Mm-hmm. You know, I love the title of your podcast, Truth, right? Real. I love it being real because I could not serve something fake or phony or plastic. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. I don't have the wits to be able to serve something phony. I needed a real God. So my journey, as much as I know I wanted to forgive, really didn't start with forgiveness. It started saying, God, I want more of you. Mm. I just want to serve you more. I want to know you more. I want to really know what it's like to love a God who, who doesn't judge me, love a God who's there for me, that pulls me out of that miry clay. And in that journey, I felt like God said to me one day, hey, Mark, let's go move the pebble. Oh, I can move a pebble. Let's move a stone. Let's move a rock. Let's move a boulder. Let's move a hill. And then one day he would say, let's go move that mountain. God, that mountain's too hard. How can you ask me to forgive somebody who stole so much from me? God, it's not fair that you would ask me to do this. God, I'll give you anything, but don't ask me to do this. I I wanted revenge. I wanted justice. I wa- Of course, I wanted all those things. God said, I just asked you to follow me. And following Christ is where I'm learning to forgive every day more and more. Forgive my mom for her neglect. Uh, forgive my abuser. Now, forgiving my abuser doesn't mean we have kumbaya moments. You know, I have, I've said to my abuser, you know, I've, I've given you to Christ. Uh, I've, that's my prayer. I, and and uh, to be honest with you, I asked God some pretty hard questions. And God gave me back some pretty hard answers. And it, it wasn't always like, amen, and let's dance and shout. It was in the middle of the weeping, the presence of the Lord came. You know, David said in the 23rd Psalm, I have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And I think sometimes through forgiveness, the altar, God becomes that that ground where we keep returning to. But sometimes we have to walk through the journey 
to be able to get to those places. And again, in my book, I talk about the practical steps of being able to walk through forgiveness. I prayed hard, but I also had to read my word. I had to, you know, I had to seek friends and I had to learn to die to self. I had a victim mentality on me, boy, uh, the world owed me something and, uh, and, and I wanted it. And the Lord kind of took me down a notch and said, Mark, you're no longer a victim. And I said to the Lord, Lord, if I'm not a victim, that's all I know how to be. I was raised to be a victim. The Lord said, Mark, you're not a victim. Spoke to my heart, said, but now you're victorious. Hmm. And you know, I, I could keep going on and talk about how Jacob wrestled with an angel and God called him Israel, which means because you wrestled with God and man, you've become an overcomer. And I think sometimes we have to wrestle and we can be, we can start off as a Jacob, a deceiver and what we can end up an overcomer like Israel. Mm. Wow. So on a practical level, yes. uh, there's a lot of people who maybe haven't been through the horrific abuse that you've been through, but they've dealt with, like you said, um, a nightmare, you know, something Everybody that happened. Yeah. Yep. Something that has happened to them, maybe in their childhood, uh, that was uh, very difficult. To, um, and maybe there's that there's still that pain, um, still that feeling of rejection. Sure. And even as a believer, maybe that person is still struggling with going back to that place of wallowing in the pain. Because I yeah. think that sometimes the darkness is comforting. Do you know what I mean, Mark? Like yeah, there's familiar. sometimes it's yeah, familiar, familiar going yeah. back to that pit and going, yeah. okay, uh, and the old tape plays. I'm yeah. rejected. I've been abandoned. All these different things. So how, in a practical sense, do you combat those moments? Because in life, I, I find that there are triggers. There are things that bring right. up those, those moments. I'm sure you have some as well. And uh, how do you, in that moment fight the darkness well it's easy to say i go to god right that's what i <laughs> that's what i do but how does that look what does that look like so what i did in my book in the back part of my book i call them trail markers i really like to hike and on a trail you have to follow the trail markers or you'll get lost i hiked the Adirondacks. i've hiked up in maine and vermont and new hampshire and if you don't follow the tra trail markers you'll get you'll get lost. So the back of my book, I talk about these markers, these trail markers that keep us on our journey. Now, again, prayer and reading the word, those are like the pillars of it. But I, I talk about other things about having a sober mind, right? Not, not everything that happened to me was because I was abused. Sometimes it's because I just simply have a big mouth. <laughs> I, had to, I had to deal with that, right? Now, I wanted to blame everything on my abuse. I did, and, and maybe I could in some ways, but sometimes my mouth just kind of got in the way. I had to have friends in my life that really would, could speak into my life. Um, and there's only a, that's a select few. You know, you can't just give everybody that. My wife, a couple of good, my buddy that lives out in Washington near you, they could speak out in my, they could speak to my life and they say the hard things, you know, they're like, Hey bro, we love you, but here's a whole thing of Tic Tacs, you know, that's kind of, and sometimes you just need people to kind of read your mail, but not, not leave you hurt, but it will build you up. And those are kind of some of the practical steps deal with victim to victimhood, uh, you know, deal with the different processes of what forgiveness means. Um, you know, forgiveness does not mean that you forgive and forget. That is, I think, such a pitch from the world. How can I forget that my body was so abused? How can somebody forget what they've been through? Uh, forgiveness doesn't mean that you don't want justice. 
You know, it doesn't mean, hey, I've been abused. My abuser deserves to be trialed. Or it doesn't mean that you don't seek help, counselors and coaches and and, and whatever, pastors. And, you know, so, this, you know, what does forgiveness really mean? And again, I think as we follow a real God, uh, uh, you know, we follow something real, God's going to ex- expose that more and more. I tell people, I forgive what's in front of me. I can't forgive this make-believe or I wish or something, I forgive what's in front of me. And tomorrow there might be something different in front of me. And how do I forgive that? I run to God. And in those practical steps uh, with the pillars of prayer and his word, and also looking at some of those people in my life, you know, when everything starts going crazy in my life, I usually have to like, hey, what's going on? You know, what's what did I do? You know, so so those real practical steps, I hope that kind of answered your question a little bit. Yeah, it does. Um, did your abuser ever uh, face judicial punishment for what he did? He, he he did in a sense. Now, I'm not trying to make an excuse. Those days of 77 and 84, things were different those days. I think I came out of that last generation where things like that were always behind closed doors. Family dealt with them. Nowadays, there's advocacy and support and there, there's there's great processes to protect the victims. Those days, they weren't as strong. I'm sure they were there, but they weren't as strong. So uh, my abuser never uh, was prosecuted to the extent that they should have been, in my opinion. Uh, A couple of things happened to my abuser. My mom has passed, just to kind of let you know. She passed a few years ago. She met Jesus Christ, 11th hour, thief on the cross moment. She met Jesus Christ. My, My abuser his body is riddled with uh, multiple sclerosis. Uh, he has no control of his faculties at this point, and he's in a, a rehab. Uh, but as far as the justice of the legal system, there was a bit of that, but never to the extent of what it should be. Do you know if he ever had any other victims besides you? Not 100% sure, uh, only only because I've read on this matter. I've read, um, you know, statistics and I've read on this that it would not surprise me. Um, I think I was the prime target, but I would not know 100% sure. But again, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, th- that's kind of the nature of uh, a pedophile. Um, you know, I've learned learned words like grooming. I didn't realize I was being groomed. And again, we didn't use those words back then. It, it was always uh, it was always things that happened behind closed doors and families. You know, it was never people like us. It was all the other people, but it was always people like us mm-hmm. uh, that was kind of happening. So I wouldn't be surprised if there was other victims. I just would not know that for 100 percent. Yeah. So what would you say to somebody who says, well, <laughs> I get really caught up in the justice part. Like this is unjust. And I think too, Mark, I'm, I'm sure you hear it on the East Coast, but especially here on the West Coast, I hear it a lot. Like uh, we want justice. We want justice. This isn't right. And um, it seems to be the, the cry of the heart uh, yeah. among young people um, on social media a lot of times, yeah. Yeah. especially in the last couple of years. So um, for somebody who's caught up in, maybe like somebody that hurt them, they didn't have to pay for what they did, or maybe they're out there hurting more people. Sure. Maybe there's something happening. It, how do you deal with that? Um, I'd, I'd love to hear what you have to say. Well, I think there's two sides of that for me when I think about it. There's my personal story, 
And then there's the collective story. Uh, I think as the collective story, any victim that's been abused, I think has 100% right to seek justice, seek whatever process that means to them. Authorities, uh, you know, I am not a legal expert, but whatever that means for the justice system to get involved in their case and their situation, I would 100% support that. So uh, whatever that does, and, uh, you know, uh, for me personally, uh, I realized the era of which my uh, abuse took place, and I realized uh, of, of the, the, the issues around it. So uh, the justice that I know that will come is going to be the ultimate justice. You know, God is just. He's a fair God. So that's where my hope lies, that my God will, will give me justice. Um, my abuser may have escaped or evade the legal systems because of processes and systems that that are um, that were in place when he was his, his attacking. Again, I don't want to seem like I'm defending him at all. I'm not, uh, but I think that I know as a person, God will God will give me justice because mm-hmm. uh, He's given me righteousness, and in His righteousness, I believe justice will follow. Hmm. Yeah. So even though you had a relationship with Christ starting at the age of 16, um, has the pain of your past negatively impacted your relationships, like with your wife or with your kids? Um, and how do you mitigate that or also not fall into that victim mentality of, I, I have these issues because of my past? Well, sure. Uh, you know, yes, uh, my past affected everything I've done. It's, it's a part of uh, the way my mind was reasoning. Uh, The only way my mind became clearer, if you would, is when I was in the word of God, because the word of God tells us he transforms our mind, you know, so that's where the word of God started giving me clarity. And of course, I think that uh, I was, I was self-centered because I was protecting myself. Um, I did not have the social skills to be able to deal with stress or anxiety, or I didn't know how to handle conflict in a healthy way. I either strike out with my words or I retreated mostly within myself. So, yeah, I think it affected a lot of people around me. Uh, My wife and I, uh, she knew my whole story before the ring came on her hand, before I bowed the knee and asked her to be my wife. Uh, That's a story within itself. Uh, But again, now we started to have a marriage and we had to deal with some of the the, the pain there. I didn't know how to be touched in a healthy way. Can I say that? So as a young bride, she reaches over for her husband and I froze up because I only knew ugly touch. I didn't know a beautiful touch. So we had to pray through that and, and walk through that. And, and those were the days where I started to say, Lord, I really want to um, stop. You know, I want to, I, I want this generation, me, not to hand this down to my kids, not the abuse. I knew that I wouldn't abuse them, but the mindset, the mindset. I didn't want to hand them down the brokenness, the insecurities, the fear. So I really feel sometimes that the image in my mind is I'm a damn, you know, uh, I'm the one that's stopping all this generational junk. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure enough's getting through that I'm messing up my kids one way or another, <laughs> but, but you know, uh, hopefully, and, and, you know, my, I remember, I'll tell you a story. I remember one time 
I was putting my son to bed. He was, I don't know, seven, eight years old, and it was his bedtime. And of course, I think if you're a parent, you realize that that bedtime wrestle, that bedtime argument, discussion. And he was doing all this. No, I don't want to go to bed. And he looked at me and he said, This is abuse. So we, we, him and his, his mother and I, we put him to bed. We tucked him in. We talked to him about the language that he used. And I remember closing his bedroom door and dancing down the hallway. And my wife was frustrated with the moment, of course. She said, what are you dancing for? I said, because my son thinks going to bed at 730 when you're eight years old is abuse. I said, that's a pretty good concept because at eight years old, I was being stabbed and raped. Mm -hmm. So you know, I hope you get the understanding of the irony in that t- tale. So uh, again, um, I, I see myself as the one that's kind of stopping that generational um, mindset. And how do we stop it? Is, in my opinion, the only way to stop it is to is through the Lord Jesus, through the Word, and through the Spirit of God. Wow. wow. Um, so you became a pastor. Tell me about that. And sure, yeah. <laughs> sure. Wow. Well, you know, at, God called me to Bible school and I said, no, because that's what all good pastors say at first. I don't want to go. I'm a dyslexic. So education uh, was something I always feared. Academia, I just talk about feeling like a, a bump on the log. I did not want to be a part of academia. It was intimidating. And after wrestling, and I mean a real wrestling match and God speaking to my heart. I finally said yes to the school I didn't want to go to. Hmm. I, I knew the craziness of this school. They wore uniforms. Guys and girls were separated. It was kind of fundamental. I said, I don't want to go to this school. But the discipline of that is what I needed in my life. Hmm. And we went through that and I struggled as a student. I got involved in, um, I got involved with some learning centers and I really had to struggle, but you know, in high school, I was a special ed kid, small bus, uh, but I was able to fight with lots and lots and lots and lots of help. Um, I'm a graduate today and hey, I'm even an author. So uh, <laughs> now my wife, she graduated with like more colors around her neck from a different school. Uh, she graduated with an education degree. She, they spoke Greek words and Latin words all around her when she graduated. You know, me, I was just like, I passed. She she talks about her GPA. You know, I don't talk about that. I just have pass and fail. She'll tell you 3.8, 4.1, 4, you know, she'll tell you all that. So, so I know in 2019, you started uh, opening up more about your story. Before that, were you sharing it at all with your congregants? Yeah, or people? I, you know, the first time I, the testimony came out is when I was at that Bible college, they invited me to share my testimony. And it came out and I was in Canada at the time in a large church, probably about 5,000 people. And everybody started to cry. Mm-hmm. And I thought I did something wrong. I thought, oh, uh, and at that moment, the Lord spoke to my heart and he said to me, Mark, you're going to write this book. You're going to write it down someday. And I laughed. I'm a dyslexic. I can't, I can barely write. And I said, oh God, if this is really from you, what would I call it? And he said, you'll call it forgiving the nightmare. And that's why the name is called forgiving the nightmare. Uh, he said, I'll do something great with it. So I didn't really know what that would look like. Would it be a book? Would it just be a part of me? Would it, how would that look? And in 2019, I wrestled with weight. I was probably the heaviest I ever was. I was well over 300 pounds. I'm only five, six. So I was a ball. Um, And I, 
I said, Lord, I, I, you know, I got four kids. I'm going to have a heart attack, a stroke. I, and trying to get some victory in my, in my eating, in my weight, in my health, God started to bring me deeper and say, you know, the reason why you eat, the reason why you have is because you're hiding. You're hiding. You don't have the confidence because your abuser took your confidence. You don't have the, you know, you have all these pains that you're hiding. And as much as I still wrestle, I wish I could tell you, I'm, you know, I'm a skinny mini in which I'm not. I still go up and down and I, I wrestle with, with weight still. Cause I really like to eat, you know, um, cause it, it's comforting and it, it's, it's consoling. Yeah. Um, but I think that that's where things started to come out about the whole process, not just pieces of the process about the journey and about reaching out and about God being bigger and about learning how to, to be a, no longer a victim, but be victorious. And as you've shared more, have you been surprised at all by the response you've received? I have everywhere I go, no matter what kind of circumstance or situation or group I speak to, uh, wealthy, poor, educated, simple, white collar, blue collar, East Coast, West Coast, uh, somebody always pulls me aside and says, Pastor, I have the same story. Mm. Everywhere I go, everywhere. And it's like, wow, it's it's affected so many people. And I've just been the one that's kind of spoken out, but I've been a I, I just can't believe how many people is affected. I got a, I got an email not too long ago and the body of the email basically said this. They said, we heard you on a podcast. My husband and I were listening to you and I looked down and my husband was crying. And after 35 years of marriage, my husband looked up at me and said, that story is my story. So the first time in 35 years of their marriage, after raising children and becoming grandparents, uh, the husband finally was able to tell the wife, that he too was hurt and abused. And in that email, the wife told me that they held each other. They wept, they cried, they prayed, and they can now seek help. But that was the first time after hearing a testimony. And those are the moments you say, Lord, be glorified. So yeah, I think that moment was really special to me, but also everywhere I go, somebody pulls me aside and says, thanks for sharing. You mentioned in your story that it was uh, the group of young people from that church who pulled you in that really uh, yeah. drew you in uh, yeah. to faith. And then uh, again, just sharing now that everywhere you go, you encounter that kind of pain. Uh, what is the message to the church, do you think, um, in all of this? Because um, I hear from a lot of people, you know, how messed up the American church is and yes, uh, <laughs> all these different things. Yeah. Uh, but do you have a message for those who love the Lord? Yeah, I, I think sometimes as the Christian, our default is to forgive. Like the computer has a default mode. We read the scripture. And we go, I want to forgive. We read that how important it is God has forgiven us. And if we don't forgive those, how can God forgive? It? And we hear it and we go, but God, it's so hard. How do I do it? So what I would say to people is, is, you know, allow the process. Being a pastor, I've met so many people who are confessing forgiveness, but are still living in the pain. They're confessing it they're, because that's their desire. That's a good desire, but they have not gone through the process. They haven't got angry. They haven't cried. They haven't, whatever they need to do, you know, sweat, sweat spit and tears, you know, uh, that, that brought me to 
to uh, my forgiveness. So I think what I would say to the church or to Christians, God is with us. Be patient. Uh, you know, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, right? Uh, you know, one precept by precept, step by step. Some days is one step forward and two steps back. Sometimes loud, the past gets louder than the faith, but some days faith gets louder than the past. And just be really sober, be really honest. Don't God's word is not a club that's knocking us over to, to punish us. God's word is a is grace to lead us. And I think what I would say to church, give people room. And to the Christian, allow yourself to, to go through the process. So I went through the process and it was ugly and it was hard. And I sometimes my fingers got you know peeled off that anger. But now I can say by the grace of God, let me say it like that, only by the grace of God, I truly have forgiven. And only through and in and by have I forgiven those that have wounded me. Hmm. So I'm not sure that you uh, mentioned this, but I'm wondering, did you ever deal with insecurity of feeling like, was there something that I did? Um, because I think that that's something that people who've been through abuse uh, often feel like, did I do something wrong? Sure, sure. Have I ever dealt with it? I think I'm dealing with it right now. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, how do you? <laughs> it becomes the atmosphere for the Christian, uh, for the for the victim, the atmosphere of of those pains, those familiar pains. And I think for me, I thank God my body healed. You know, I was stabbed, I was cut, I was burned uh, and, and raped and my body healed. But the scars that lasted far longer was my insecurities, my inabilities, my value, my dignity. These are things that my abusers stole from me that took far longer than my body. My body healed as a body's created to do, but the voice in my head of my abuser saying, you're nothing, you're garbage, you're trash, that, you know, if this is your fault, uh, you know, the lies that the little, the little boy's head builds up to, why is this happening? I must've did something wrong. Why is this taking, why did I get punched with a bat today? Why did I get cut? It has to be something. I'm, so those insecure and the value of feeling that I had anything to add to anybody, I'd walk into the room and I'd feel like dirt, the least of, you know, there'd be an adult conversation going on. I'd think I can't be a part of that. I'm, I'm, I'm too ignorant. I'm too simple. I don't have value. So yeah, uh, those things are, Boy, I'll tell you, those are the lies that still prop up today. You know, who am I to go on the 700 Club? Who am I to write a book? Who am I to be on your podcast? But the Lord says, you know, if I will lead you and I, you know, speak what I speak, say what I say, and, and not that I'm God, but I'm trying to follow the leading of the Lord. So, yeah, and I think the only place where we can really find hope in that is, is in Christ. But, yeah, that's those are the hard things. Those are the hard things. Like I said, when you've gone through something that much with that much trauma and you go to God and you start asking the hard questions. Sometimes you get hard answers mm. and uh, that's what happened. I got, I, I wanted hallelujah answers, but I got honest answers, which eventually satisfied me and helped me find peace. What questions were you asking? Sure. Why, why, you know, why God? Why? I thought you loved me. I thought you were there for me. I thought if you're a loving God, why does this happen? Why God? 
and I got an answer. Now, I'd be happy to share my answer, but remember, it's my answer. Mm -hmm. And not that it can't become your answer, but sometimes people will hear my answer and they'll go, yeah, but, because it wasn't their answer. So my answer, I believe that the Holy Spirit put in my heart was that God called me to be a minister, a witness of his, of his love and his mercy from the moment of my conception. I believe that with all my heart. And I believe the enemy knew that as well. And I believe from the moment I was born, the enemy sent an attack by rejection of my dad, neglect from my mom, and abuse to my body. So I believe that all that took place is because God had a call on my life to speak his word. Not that I'm perfect. Believe me, I'm not. Ask my wife. Not that I have it all figured out. I don't. But I believe that my life was set apart, not better, just set apart to do what God called me to do. And the enemy has tried to destroy me from that, from the beginning of my conception. That answer satisfied me. Now, I know some of your listeners who have been hurt or been through abuse or been through pain, they're going to say, yeah, but, and I get it because it wasn't their answer, but I know God will give them an answer. God will say, and and I know there's a lot of trauma. I, I, I have a good friend of mine that, you know, he, he had to put his daughter, his daughter. I don't know what that pain's like. He had to put his daughter in the hands of Jesus. A young 30-year-old girl just gave birth to a, a brand new baby. Six months later, she she passed away. And, and all I could do was weep with my friend. I didn't have words. I couldn't be funny. I couldn't give the right antidote. All I could do was cry with my friend. And and that's all I can do. I, I can't have I don't have an answer, but I know God does. And God gave me an answer that satisfies me. And I believe that he could give one that, that satisfies you. Uh, I know John the Baptist sent Jesus a message. Are you really the one? And Jesus didn't answer yes. He sent him back <laughs> a story saying, have you not seen eyes open and the dead raised and the, and the good news proclaimed? And I said, Lord, why do you just say yes? John the Baptist is about ready to die. Why did you just say yes? And God said to my heart, he said, John already had the answer. He just needed a testimony. And I think sometimes for me, I needed that reassurance that knew that God was with me. So that's my answer. I know some of your listeners are still going, yeah, but because that was what I would have said. That's <laughs> oh, powerful. You've got me crying over here, <laughs> um, which doesn't happen very often. Oh, may God. Be uh, <laughs> so one of the things that like I asked and it kind of ties into all this because what you've described is abiding with the Lord, right? Uh, where it talks in, and John about abiding with the vine and um, how important it is that we stay with him. But we all go as Christians, um, those of us listening who are Christians, there's times when we, go, we feel far away from God, even as believers, sure. uh, dry seasons. Sure. How do you deal with dry seasons in your faith, Mark? Because clearly abiding is very important to uh, who you are. If you get very far away from that, uh, you're toast, right? <laughs> sure. Sure. And, you know, I, I guess what I would say is even though there are dry times and quiet moments and, and I'm crying out, Lord, where are you? I know he's never far. Mm-hmm. I know by my faith, my theology, my, my um, makeup, I believe that God is never far. Now, just like in any relationship, you know, sometimes 
you know, my wife and I were getting ready to celebrate 19 years, you know, second honeymoon, we're you know, falling in love all again, the kids are getting bigger, you know, but there have been times in any marriage, there's, there's, there's far apart, but you know, you love each other, you know, you know, like, yeah, there might be a little season here, but at the end of the day, I, I love this person. They may drive me crazy sometimes, but I love this person. And I think, uh, I think that's kind of the, the piece I have to know that even in those moments where we call mountaintops and valleys, you know, and that old poem of, of footprints, you know, even though when I don't see God, I know he's there. You know, even though I don't hear God, I know he's there. And I just kind of have that concept. I, I love my Pentecostal distinctive as a, as a preacher, but I'm not so, um, I'm not so emotional that I can't reason at the same time. You know, I love being emotional. You can catch me dancing, shouting and saying, amen. I'm a, I'm a tambourine slapping, holy ghost shouting, hanky waving Christian. <laughs> but at the same time, I know my God is real and I know his word is true. And I know that regardless of where I'm at, God is, I'm the same God yesterday, today and forever. So, mm-hmm. wow. so if people want to find out more about you and your ministry and your book, where can they find you? Well, the easiest place to find me is go to our website at forgivingthenightmare.com, forgivingthenightmare.com. I'm also on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm in LinkedIn, either a combination of my name, Mark Sowersby, or Forgiving the Nightmare. Uh, Also, you can find our book on Amazon. I can't believe that. So, you know, if anybody gets a book, I'd love a review on Amazon. If you can leave me a review, that'd be great. So you go to Amazon, but forgivingthenightmare.com is probably the best way to connect with me. Okay. So final question. Uh, The Finding Something Real podcast is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. Real is an acronym for those things. Uh, four gifts that we can find in relationship with Jesus Christ, although there's more. Which of those stands out to you the most in your life right now and why? Boy, well, there's so much. You, How can <laughs> I just pick one? I think authenticity. You know, when you've been lied to, uh, I tell people my abuser just didn't lie. His language was lies. He wasn't just a liar. Everything he did was lies. He spoke lies. His actions were lies and deception. Everything about my abuser was a lie. And I grew up under that. I grew up my, I tell people like my language that I learned as a child was the language of lies. I I wish I learned Spanish or French, but I learned the language of lies. So now as a man, I value authenticity. Just tell me. Maybe it's the New Englander in me. You know, you don't like me. Tell me we'll get it over with. We'll get a coffee, right? I mean, just (laughs) be straight up. I'd rather you say, look, bro, knock it off than try to beat around a bush for two years and hold something in your heart. So I grew up with the language of lies. And today I just want, be honest. You know, don't make God a, 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 a fairy godmother. Don't make God a wimp. Don't make God this uh, Santa Claus. You know, God is real. And just, you know, and in, in, in the Christian journey, there's going to be, there's going to be troubles. Jesus said in this life, you'll have many troubles, but fear not because I'm with you. So let's not make church this like all about me. Let's make church all about God. And when I stumble and fall, mess up and doubt, hurt and cry, celebrate and praise, 
May God be in the center of it all. And so I just try to serve a real God. And what you find here on your podcast is the same guy you'll find on a Sunday morning. One who talks too much and eats too much. That's that's the guy. Well, Pastor Mark Sowersby, thank you so much for coming on here and sharing your story and sharing the hope that you have in Christ. It's it's inspirational and compelling and um, I just pray that whoever listens is encouraged today by your, uh, your testimony. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It was an honor. Yeah. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season, we are inviting young women to join me as they share their personal stories and ask honest questions or share objections to the Christian faith. We hope to feature a different story each month and then invite Christian guests on to share from their own journeys and experiences and maybe answer some of those questions in follow-up episodes. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that, but if you're curious at all at whether there's something real to be found in Jesus, I invite you to come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with Him. Until next time.